adopted, adopted, and adopted again. How can a person be adopted three times? Thanks for joining us today on Fresh Faith. We are about to share an amazing story of high times, hard times, and the hand of God. Here's Ron Moore and Lorraine Shipman as they talk about the amazing things that God has been doing in her life. Here today with uh, Lorraine Shipman and Lorraine oversees all of our youth ministries at the Bible Shop. Lorraine, thanks for, thanks for being here. No problem. Thank you. Um, Lorraine has just informed us, I think about a week, in fact, today, a week ago. A week ago. That uh, she is stepping down from her position uh, here at the Bible Chapel, and you're going to move out of state. Moving to California. Moving to California. Well, we don't know if we're going to let you do that or not, <laughs> but um, you're going to be greatly missed. Uh, the ministry here has been so significant. But we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, because what I want to do is I want to tell the story behind your decision, because I think it's quite a story. Let me just set this up real quick. 2012, you and Mark came to the Bible Chapel. Um, I, uh, I, I remember you guys were sitting just like two seats back where you always sit on Saturday <laughs> night, and I shook your hand afterwards, and you told me the church that you came from. I won't say the name of the church, but the church you came from, and I know about that church and I thought, these guys are not going to be happy at the Bible Chapel. It is a different <laughs> church. And uh, uh, by God's design, you, you came back. I was surprised when I saw you there the next Saturday. And, and you, you should be surprised because when we found you were from Oklahoma and a Sooner fan, I was thinking, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> and for seven years, I've had to hear about Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And who won the last OU-Texas game? Yeah, and who wore their Texas shirt and sat on the second row during Saturday night. Yes, Yeah. thank you. <laughs> Lorraine started uh, volunteering right after you came, right after you went through the process. You started volunteering with our youth and just did a fantastic job. And, and you know, you, you were probably putting in 20, 25, 30 hours a week, and then we decided to bring you on staff, and you worked um, kind of an associate for a while, and then... We saw your gifts, and you have you oversee now all the youth ministries. You started uh, 56 ministry, the fifth and sixth graders started that, overseeing the middle school, junior high, and high school, and uh, you've just done a, a great job. Your your passion for for youth, uh, you, you bleed your, your passion for youth, and that's where your story begins, or that's where I like to start your story. That passion grew out of some very challenging times in your life, right? Yeah. So you were adopted, mm -hmm. and you had some really hard times growing up. So start your story there. Yeah, so for me, I was adopted at four weeks old, and I always grew up knowing being adopted was special. Um, I actually used to use it against my middle brother um, because he would say, Mom and Dad have had her long enough, send her back. So he was always trying to send me back because he loved being the youngest. And I knew that my parents had paid money for me, so <laughs> I told my brother that Mom and Dad paid money for me and you were a mistake. So we always had this love-hate <laughs> relationship. Um, my two older brothers were not adopted. Um, they my parents had a couple of miscarriages in between having my brothers, and so they wanted a, a little girl, basically. Um, I grew up going to church, but I would not say that I grew up in a Christian home. And the reason for that is 
you know, church was we just went Sunday morning and check. Um, and then we went on to have our family day. We would, I would never see my parents open up the Bible. I would never see them use scripture. Grace was only saved for, you know, holiday meals or if extended family were over. And they never demonstrated or practiced um, what you would expect someone as a Christian to be. And where that comes in is, you know, my father was an alcoholic and he sexually uh, abused me. And then I had emotional abuse from my mom. And so for me, um, I always had this love for church. So I'm thankful that was part of my parents' checklist. Um, I felt like they always used church and youth group kind of as a babysitting for them. So I'm once again thankful that was where they wanted us to be. But I never saw them doing those things. And so, you know, for me, I loved church and I loved it because I felt safe, I felt loved, and I felt welcome. Um, you know, who doesn't love to go as a six-year-old and have a cute little Easter dress and everyone tell you how pretty you look and they hug on you? So I wanted to be at church, and that also was my escape. Youth group, I was involved with youth group. I had awesome youth leaders and a youth pastor that really just took me in. A lot of them knew the things I was going through. My parents had divorced at the age of 12, so that's right at seventh grade. And I was actually okay with my parents' uh, divorce because that meant the sexual abuse had stopped. And so that was a relief to me, but no one really knew about it. Um, there was times that I had talked to someone about it, um, but nothing was taken seriously about it. And so about six months after seeing a counselor, for the divorce, I actually um, asked the counselor, can I speak to you alone? And part of it was, this is actually kind of funny for people that are my age, um, I used to love Ricky Schroeder, and he used to do a commercial, and it would show three different stages of abuse, and one of them was a sexual abuse one, and he would end it with, tell someone. And because I loved him to death, <laughs> um, I had pictures of him on my wall, I would see that commercial over and over, and so finally I got the courage to tell my counselor. Everyone was really surprised because I pretty much learned not to show emotions. That was part of the emotion, uh, emotional abuse that I dealt with. I would get in trouble for crying. Um, so my counselor had no clue there was anything ever affecting me until I told him that day. It was then that my youth group really just took me in. My youth pastor would pick me up um, and put me to work at church <laughs> back when I was in high school. I would go, um, my mom owned a 7-Eleven store at San Diego State, and so they had a Wesley house there, and a lot of my leaders worked there. And so I would go hang out with them just to get away from my home life. It was in junior high that I accepted Christ. It was at camp. And so that's really the beginning of my passion for junior high kids is the fact that um, the, the, the way it all evolved, it was all in God's work with it because there was a bunch of girls in the restroom crying and all of them had been abused in some way. Um, and I had people I could relate to that they understood. And so we went and talked to a youth leader and that night we accepted Christ. And it was then that I was just like pouring all of my time and tension into the church um, and especially, I think when I really understood the community and love for church and youth group was when I was 15 and my brother died in a car wreck, my middle brother, because that's who I wanted to be with. 
You know, instead of a family coming closer together, our family just went completely further apart. And so they just took me under their wing. I can still remember when my brother died in the funeral and stuff. I was with my youth leaders. I wasn't with my family. Um, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, we all, God brings people to himself in different ways. And even before you were a Christian, the church was a safe place for you mm-hmm. and a place you wanted to be, even without your relationship with Christ. But what a, what, what a reminder that is to all of us that you know, we, can, we can be that, that pre-experience of Christ, if we can say it like that, before a person truly trusts in Christ. But that's what, drew, that's what really drew you in, yeah. that safety. Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. Um, and not long after my brother died in a car wreck, my mom um, decided to move to Las Vegas. I was devastated. Um, I was going to have to leave my church. I was going to have to leave my youth group. And at that time in my life, I, I dealt with depression. Um, I didn't want to live, to be honest. I, um, they didn't call it cutting back then, but I pretty much was cutting, just trying to seek attention. And so the thought of me having to move to Las Vegas and lose all that, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen to me. My counselor, thankfully, he was a Christian counselor. He knew the struggle that my mom and I had in our relationship. And so he actually suggested to my mom to see if they could find somewhere I could stay in San Diego. Um, And the funny story and how God has just placed incredible people into my life. uh, I met a girl on a mission trip that didn't attend our church. Her friend had invited her and Dana and I became instant friends. And she knew a lot of the struggles I had gone through. And I had only known her for two months and she knew I didn't want to move to Vegas. She knew I was struggling with that. And she went home and asked her mom if I could come live with them. And her mom is a very strong Christian and she prayed about it and just felt God calling her to open her home to me. Um, And looking back, I mean, she was a single parent. She had two kids. She was just a teacher. And my mom wasn't paying her very much money for me to live with them. And to tell you the night and day difference between home environment, um, this was the middle of my sophomore year. I had a 1.9, so I wasn't even passing school. I didn't care, to be honest. And then I move in with Dana and her family, and I graduated with a 3.5. I mean, it had nothing to do with I wasn't capable. It had to do with my home environment. Mm -hmm. And so I lived with Dana, you know, from 15 until I graduated at 17. And Dana and her family were really the first people to teach me what unconditional love was all about. It was really my first experience of someone really loving me. And to talk about my relationship, I accepted Christ in junior high, but the church I went to, um, I don't feel like it really taught me about having a relationship with Christ. So it was more of a religion, and God was more of this emergency call for me. You know, when I felt scared or I felt like I needed him, then I was praying to God. But I didn't really spend a ton of time in Scripture or anything. So I really, in my opinion, didn't have that strong foundation. Talk about, so on the outside, things are, things are going well. Mm-hmm. Now you, you're learning unconditional love. You're obviously doing well at school. Like, you can do this. So a lot of things are kind of coming together mm-hmm. in your life. But I guess my question is, so, you know, you're adopted, so you're kind of think, maybe you're thinking through that, I'm asking, and then you have a, 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 an inappropriate situation with your dad, and you got to do that, and then they divorce, and then your mom moves away, 
like what are you what are other emotions going on at this point so for me um i would say i always kind of had since i knew i was adopted and it was something special i at some point in my life i started to have this attitude that i wasn't like them and i wasn't going to be like my adopted family you know my brothers both got mixed up in drugs and alcohol so i saw what it did to them i saw you know the effects of alcohol with my dad and that was kind of like my protection for me is just like i'm different than them and i was determined to make life work i also had this i'm the only one that can take care of me you know i i had a long time of that just me i'm the only one that can do this and so i was a i was a fighter with it i mean at age 17 i went to college you know um originally i was accepted into a college that i was going to go into youth ministry but i realized i couldn't afford it you know that I ended up just going to a junior college and got an apartment with a couple of roommates. Um, where things changed for me, a couple of things is um, Dana died in a car wreck when your, I was in college. The friend that you stayed with. The girl I lived with died in a car wreck. Um, I was 19 years old, hmm. and she was actually on her way back from uh, Oregon to meet us for the Super Bowl party. We were having a Super Bowl party, and whoever was driving fell asleep at the wheel and got hit by an 18-wheeler. And I was completely, as you can imagine, devastated. I mean, she was that person that taught me unconditional love, and now she was gone. And I was just like, I really struggled on having strong relationships with people because here I finally experienced what love is, and then it's just gone. Um, that is actually what caused me to move to Texas. I felt so lost without Dana and all my roommates were moving out, so I didn't know how, my living situation, what I was gonna do, and I was tired of playing the role of, I'm, I'm my parents, my adopted parents' daughter, you know? And at that time, I think around 17, I thought, yeah, I would, I, you know, was curious about my birth family, but then I started really thinking about that and thinking, I don't want them to know what I've been through. Because I honestly feel like and felt like then they did what they thought was the best thing for so you're me. You're kind of protecting them even though mm -hmm. you had no idea who they were. Yeah, they exactly. Are. You know, so I could never imagine knocking on someone's door and saying, hi, I'm your daughter. And by the way, <laughs> this is everything I've been through, you know, yeah. and I didn't want to do that. Plus, I mean, at one time I tried to get my medical records. I wasn't successful. Um, I also heard stories you know i heard stories that they don't always end up right one you may never find them and two the fact that sometimes they don't want anything to do with you mm -hmm. and so it's also kind of protecting me in a sense too so you're going through all this stuff you moved to texas is there a connection down there or something yeah so i actually dated a guy that went through the navy seals training he graduated and I had decided the military life wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I got to know his family and they were from Fort Worth, Texas. And we, I built a relationship. Everyone always wanted to adopt me into their family. Mm -hmm. So I always felt like I had lots of moms. I consider Dana's mom, my mom in San Diego. I had the Texas mm -hmm. parents. And so um, they said to me one day, cause they knew the frustration I was going through. And they said, you should come visit Fort Worth, Texas. I think you would like it. I couldn't afford to move and visit. So I just took a chance and moved. And everyone kept telling me, you'll be back. 
And I'm like, no, watch this. I won't. Which is really funny because, and that's why I feel like looking back, I'm like, it was such a God thing. I needed to get away from where I was at. Um, but how else was I going to do it unless someone was willing to open their home for me, you know? And so I lived with them for a year. The Navy SEAL guy. Parents. His parents. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But and they helped me get a car. I lived with them for a year. They helped me get a job. And yeah, it was just, hmm. it was amazing. So you're in Texas, starting your life there, and then some things don't go so well in that part of your life. Yeah, so for me, after when I was in college, I'll back up a little bit. When I was in college, I was working with the youth, still very active with the church, and then I moved to Texas. And as most people know, most churches don't have a college program. Um, so it's a very awkward age to try and find church. I would go to some churches, and I was just like, this isn't right for me. Felt kind of out of place. And then I kind of got this attitude of, well, I don't really need to go to church. God's everywhere. I don't have to be in a physical building. And so I feel like I, I didn't have that community. And so I share that because then the next event that happened in my life, um, I lived in an apartment, and I had someone break in and rape me. Um, and I really think looking back, not having that community of church is why it was so easy for me to walk away from God. And I did. I turned my back from God. I felt, I felt, I still believed in God, but I didn't feel like God had any, any role in our life. Like God was just there, you know, it, because I really struggled with why, why would God allow something like this to happen? So let's, let's just drill down on that a little bit. So when you tell this story, you, you say rape and, you know, you keep moving and like everyone else just kind of has to stop, has to stop there a second. Um, so, you know, you're going through all this stuff. What, at that point, what are you, what are you thinking about God? I mean, is he there? Does he care? Is he, does he have, does he have it out for you? I mean, what, what are your thoughts about God during that time? I don't, I, like I said, I still believed he was still there, but I just felt like he didn't have any control of our life. Like there wasn't that, you know, God's got a plan and purpose. I really struggled at that time. Everything else in my life, I could kind of see how this was going to glorify God and his purpose. With being attacked and having this happen, I could not see how he was going to make this, you know, glorify him and what his purpose was. And I struggled for many, many, many years on that. I finally just had to come to a point that it's not from my understanding. You know, I may never know what, what, why this happened to me. Um, and I finally got to a point like, I'm just going to trust in you, God, and I'm not going to worry about and try and figure this out. Did you go back for counseling or anything? I did. Um, counseling for me, actually, at that point. Counseling helped when I was in high school. I felt like after that, at the time, made it worse. I actually had better, I mean, I've talked to my youth pastor and, um, you know, from back home and some people mm -hmm. like that. So they were able to kind of minister and kind of guide me along. But once again, I wasn't connected with church. And so I kind of just gave up on God. Um, mm -hmm. And it was difficult for me because if you remember right, I mean, I pretty much have lived on my own since 15. So having someone come in and break into my apartment, I lost security of home. I mean, being at home and having silence bothered me more than anything. Mm -hmm. You know, so I moved back in with my Texas family, and I had to depend on people again. 
I hadn't had to depend on people. Everyone that I've depended on has failed me, you know? And so I had to force myself to depend on people because I was too afraid to be alone. So that happens, and then you enter into a relationship, and you have another phase of your story. So yeah. about that. So a couple years after I had been attacked, um, I dated a guy that I'd met at work, and we dated for seven years, and he kind of had the same type of belief that I did, that, that he believed in God, mm -hmm. but he didn't believe God really had any role in our life. And so he didn't really have, he had the same kind of attitude that I had. And we really depended and supported each other as we went through quite a few challenges. We dated for seven years, um, got married, and I basically married um, someone like my family. He was an alcoholic, you know. Um, we got married for a year and got a divorce a year later. The, it's funny, you should follow your instincts because I can remember the week before we, get mar we got married, which we got married the week of 9-11, you know. <laughs> you talk about feel like there's a sign from God. <laughs> but um, I started questioning that week, how do you know if someone's an alcoholic? And didn't trust my gut of what I was getting into. Your youth pastor gave you away. Yeah, my youth pastor gave me away. Um, because for me, I, I respect my parents, uh, my adopted parents. Um, they're still my parents. I have forgiven my dad. I forgave my dad in my, in my early 20s. It's something I had to do, and I had to do it more for me than for him. I can say my dad asked for forgiveness. Um, he, to this day, continues to get help. I mean, I, I know, and actually it's funny, my dad every five years will ask for forgiveness. And part of that is, is he feels, I can tell he feels Forgiveness is actually going to change our relationship, and I can't, I can't mm -hmm. offer them more than I already do. Mm -hmm. You know, so our relationship is very much every, we talk every two or three months, and same with my mom, but I do have this respect for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some great qualities I've, I've got from them, and mm -hmm. um, I have some great memories from them. I want to go back, I want to come back in, in a minute to this forgiveness aspect. So you get married, uh, a year later you're divorced. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Lorraine, you say this question just kind of echoes in your mind. Why won't anyone love me? Yeah, that Why was... Why won't anyone love me? I was adopted. Bad situation in my adoptive family. I moved to my... I lose a brother. I lose a friend. I moved to Texas. I, something happens bad. Is God with me? I get married. I'm divorced. Why won't anyone love me? Talk about that. Yeah, so anyone that knows my story I talk about, I struggled with why, why can't anybody love me? I mean, that, that was a real struggle for me, um, really for the first 33 years of my life, you know? And I was always seeking other people to fill that void, you know? And a lot of that had to do with not having a true relationship with Christ and being away from the church and community at that time. But yeah, I would, I would struggle. I would, I would cry at night just thinking about why can't anybody love me? What, what's wrong with me, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. I mean. And then you met Mark. Before well, now, I, before I met Mark, <laughs> okay. Okay. before I met Mark, I actually, um, the Holy Spirit really was starting to work on my life in my early 30s. 
I, I would try and find a church. I would go to church. I knew that was something I needed and something I wanted. But every time I'd go to a church, I would, I would get emotional. I'd get upset and I'd be, I'm not ready for this. Just talk about that emotional how, like about what? I think emotional because of everything that I had been through and emotional because I knew I was so far from God. And I wasn't sure, I think, I was ready to face what I was feeling. Hmm. You know, um, the way the Holy Spirit was really working through me at that time at 33 is I was dating a guy and we were finding a church. And so we had attended a couple of churches and then we came across um, Fellowship Church in Texas. And the message that day and the message that day was called authority issues and it was getting under the umbrella of God. And, you know, what would your life look like if you were truly, fully living for God? And what a relationship with God look like? And it just really spoke to me. And then at the same time, I was reading a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And I think it's chapter 13. Chapter 13 talks about how it's okay to get angry with God. And I just broke down and just told God everything I was feeling. Um, and like I said, the Holy Spirit was, was working inside me, and I just knew I needed God. I, I, I knew He was the one, only one that could fill that void in my heart, and He just revealed to me, Lorraine, I love you, and I will always love you. And so it was just like a combination of things that were just revolving around that time. And it's funny because uh, I made excuses of why I couldn't go to fellowship because it was 45 minutes away, which, you know, in Texas, that's actually not a big deal. In Texas here, it'd be a huge deal. But I made a big deal. I, I can't drive 45 minutes. But I listened to the message every single week on authority issues online. And finally, the fourth week, I said, if I'm getting this much out of it, it's worth the drive. And from that day, I attended every Saturday night service. I was a Saturday night service person. And within a month, I decided to get baptized. And as soon as I said I even liked junior high kids, they introduced me to the junior <laughs> high pastor. Do not, you know. Because there aren't many people who like <laughs> yeah, junior high Yeah, you know, so they got me connected right away. And, you know, I was still trying to figure things out. But serving in student ministry really helped me go even further with my relationship with God. And, and the reason for that is I was kind of one foot over the line, you know. I wasn't fully living hard after God, but I found if I'm preaching this to kids, I, I need to practice what I'm preaching. And so that just all of a sudden really clicked to me. So God starts working on you pretty quickly. Yeah. Like, you, so you know you need fellowship. So there's that. The Spirit is working in your heart. You go but it's a little too much. Mm -hmm. So you keep it safe online. And then you're in and yeah. you're baptized and you're saying, okay, I'm all in. Mm -hmm. And then for, for you, service was that, as is a lot of people, service is uh, that part that really helps us to grow mm -hmm. and yeah. helps us to keep in the word and helps us to do the things that, that we need to be doing to grow in our walk with Christ. So you get involved in junior high and uh, you're all into that. Yeah, I mean, it was great. It was something I loved doing. I felt like serving um, with other leaders and stuff, that really became a family to me. Mm -hmm. uh, it was nice because it was a bunch of young adults that we were all single and young, and we were just serving hard after 
you know, serving God and serving the kids and going to camps and mission trips. And it mm -hmm. was it was exactly what I needed. And you're right, it pretty much was a switch for me. I'm going to swim in the deep end. I'm going to swim hard after Christ. And I didn't mm -hmm. look back since then. Cool. So where does Mark come into this? <laughs> Mark comes in about four or five years later. Um, and we met on Match.com on online. Okay, online. <laughs> online. Uh, something a little bit different about Mark from Match.com. Most people on there, it's, you know, hey, let's go meet up right away. And Mark impressed me because he wrote like a four-page email to me and really just kind of shared his personality and stuff. And so it's funny because, and I truly, even online, God can work. I had actually, I had done Match.com before, and I, I met some nice people, but nothing ever revolved around it. And, you know, I'm 37, 36, 37 years old, and I hadn't had anyone ask me out in a year or so. Mm -hmm. And I had ended a year prior a Christian relationship. It was really my first true Christian relationship, but it ended not well. Um, so I was kind of hesitant to really date someone in the church and stuff. But I knew I wanted someone with you know, of faith or some spiritual aspect of it. And I went on Match.com for a day and decided it was too much work. I wasn't going to do this. And I had done a, th th a three-free-day trial, <laughs> so I didn't pay any money for it. And, but I went through to see, you know, who's on there. And I saw Mark, and I, it's called Wink, and I winked at him. And Normally, what's funny, when you hear Mark tell the story, normally he would like analyze the profile for a week or so before he responded to see if he really wanted to. And for whatever reason, he actually responded that day um, before my trial was up. And so I gave him, I had a fake email address and I gave that to him. Not, not fake, like I would never see it, but not my own regular email address. And so we started just communicating back and forth for about a week, and then we started talking on the phone. And the very first day, it's funny, that we talked on the phone, he had caught me coming home from work, and the very first thing I did, he could hear I was turning off my alarm system. And he was like, why do you have an alarm system? That's ridiculous. You know, we live in Texas. And I ended up telling him my story. I told him about me being attacked and, you know, it just led into, we had this beautiful three-hour conversation, um, continued communicating for a week or so, and then when we set up to have our first date, you know, a lot of times when you meet someone online, it feels like a job interview, you know, and we didn't want that feeling, so we had agreed that we'd actually spend the day together, and so we went to my favorite restaurant, Me Casinos, and went to see a show at the Bass Hall, and then ended up having dinner together, too. Mm -hmm. And the thing that was different with Mark, um, and he'll tell you, is that was probably the first time in my life I wasn't trying to impress anyone. I was fully living my life and showing who I am. Um, and part of that was even, like, Thursday nights was Lorraine's night. That I was tired at the end of the week. I had shows I liked to watch, and he'd want to go out, and I would say, nope, that's Lorraine's night. <laughs> and he would want to do something Saturday night, and I'd be like, sorry, I got church, you know, and I didn't even involve him in church at all at that time. The only thing I really knew about him of where he was with his faith is just from his profile, and his profile said maybe spiritual or religious. It said something, but no, no elaboration to it. So I didn't really know much about it, and about a month of us dating, 
and probably a month of me telling him I can't go out on a Saturday night, he said, I'd like to go to church with you. And um, that kind of started a little bit of conversation about his church experience. You know, he grew up going to church and he absolutely hated it. And um, when he would ask about like, what do we wear? I'm like, boots and jeans is fine or shorts. And he's like, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> he was used to Sunday morning, dress mm -hmm. your best. And he, we started a conversation like about church. And he's, I was like, well, surely you at least go Easter and Christmas, you know? Mm -hmm. He's like, no, I haven't been to church probably 20 years. So mm -hmm. that's what kind of started that conversation. And then my funny story with Mark, the very first time he goes to church um, at the at fellowship, everyone sits up front. <laughs> a lot of people raise their hands. Um, and so there was a song, everybody was raising their hand and we're with my best friend. The next thing you know, Mark raises his hand. And so my best friend's like, oh, look, you know, thinking he's like super, like the super Christian. He's a great, you know, <laughs> and come to find out later on that Mark Mark was very far from God. He didn't, he didn't know God. Hmm. And so, but he kept going to church. I mean, fellowship's very progressive. And so he was always intrigued and always wanted to go home and read more about the Bible. And he took a while, but he would ask me questions and I would never judge him. I would just answer honestly mm -hmm. and challenge him sometimes on his thought process. Very cool. So then you guys got married. You moved uh, to the northern part of Pennsylvania and then here, and I want to pick up that story one second, but I, real quick. Back to forgiveness. Uh, I think this is so important, and you know, a, a lot of people really struggle with uh, forgiving others, um, forgiving themselves. I know only Christ can forgive us, but letting go of the guilt. Um, it seems that your adopted dad, who did some things that uh, are regrettable. He, he keeps wanting to be forgiven, and we've talked about this. You've forgiven him, but, he, but you can't go back and have a, a relationship with him like nothing ever happened. Right. And I think a lot of people, they, they don't forgive because they think, if I forgive, i got to have to enter into this relationship that I really can't emotionally do. Now, God can forgive and forget, but we can't. So talk about that forgiveness, because you say about every five years he wants to be forgiven. And when he says, please forgive me, it's please let's have this father-daughter relationship like it's my fault, but we don't have. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I knew that forgiveness was something that I needed to do, um, and it's helpful that he asked for forgiveness, but it really was more for me than anything. But I also knew that I couldn't offer him more in that relationship. Um, it's not something I need or desire. And I can understand, I know a lot of people struggle with the fact that I even would forgive him and that I would still have a relationship with him. But like I said, he... It's, it's interesting because I feel like, in a sense, that if, if I needed something from either parent, my dad would do anything in the world for me, mm. you know? Um, so I have that respect for him. But I also feel like I don't have to, I don't have to have that relationship, and it's not something I desire or, or want. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I think it's okay for that. I think it's, I think it's healthy. You know, it's, it's in one sense, be thankful that I even have this relationship. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that's uh, uh, an important part of forgiveness. You can forgive someone. Uh, you know, you don't wish any harm on them. Mm-hmm. And yet, you, you're not, you, you don't have the relationship that, that you would like to have as a, as a father and a daughter because you, you can't. There's some things there that stop that. So. And I have been pr- impressed. Like my first marriage when I got married and my youth pastor gave me away, my dad came to the wedding. And I know that was really difficult for him, but mm-hmm. he was just like, I am not going to miss this important event in your life mm-hmm. where my mom and my brother didn't come, you mm-hmm. know? And so that's in 9-11 had happened. So they weren't flying. My dad drove from San Diego with his family. And I know that was really difficult for him. There was at one point at the reception, he actually had to kind of remove himself a little bit and then come back because he knew. And he knew a lot of people knew our story too. Mm-hmm. But I always was impressed the courage that he had, um, that he was still just going to be there no matter what and just face whatever he was going to have to face. Adopted three times, three very different yet life-changing ways. What an incredible story that God is still writing in Lorraine's life. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for the rest of this awesome story.